Hey guys, just a quick note before we jump into this week's episode of InStride. InStride is brought to you by RideIQ. RideIQ is a mobile app with hundreds of on-demand listen-while-you-ride audio lessons taught by eventing, jumper, and dressage coaches. In other words, with RideIQ, you can take a lesson from an incredible coach during any ride you'd like. No hauling and no scheduling. Whether you're looking to add structure to your rides or try new exercises or build confidence, RideIQ can help. Membership is only $29.99 per month, and every membership automatically includes a two-week free trial. Try it for yourself today by downloading the RideIQ mobile app on iPhone or Android. On today's episode of InStride, Sinead is talking to five-star event rider Ariel Grald. At just 34 years old, Ariel has already achieved an incredibly impressive list of career successes, including recently being named to the U.S. team for the World Championships of Eventing in Italy. Ariel will be riding Limor Masterplan, known as Simon, who's a 2009 Irish sport horse gelding she's had since he was a five-year-old. In 2019, Ariel and Simon made their five-star debut at the Land Rover Kentucky three-day event and finished in 12th place. Later that year, they earned the distinction of highest-placed first-timers at the Land Rover Burley Horse Trials with a 10th-place finish. In 2021, they were third at Lou Mullen. Today, Sinead and Ariel are talking about what it's been like for her to have such a strong start at the five-star level and now be representing her country at an international competition. We hope you enjoy this episode. We're so excited to have our our final member of our world championship team on the podcast. Ariel, welcome to our InStride podcast. I honestly today was going through your website and kind of doing my, my homework. And I'm like, where do you live? <laughs> That's a very good question. You asked me that question. Yeah, like any at any point, I'm probably in any given state on the East Coast. Um, like any event rider, we pretty much live on the road. But yeah, based in Southern Pines, North Carolina at the moment. Okay. And I was texting with you last week and you were in Vermont. Yep. Yeah. So we were at a horse show in Vermont last weekend. The week before, we were in Pennsylvania training, then New Jersey to show jump in Princeton. Did a dressage show at Lock Moyne, Maryland on the way home. And <laughs> I was home for four days and then up to Vermont. So got a so, week here and then we're at Great Meadow and beyond so and and literally beyond so yeah. um, I, I wanted to start talking to you about you know where you started and your upbringing but honestly I just from the first five minutes of talking to you I'm just so excited about the worlds can we start there <laughs> <laughs> um, we're gonna start at the top and work back so First of all, have you gotten into the groove a little bit? I mean, it's kind of weird that we already had dressage and show jumping. Were you following along with that while you were on the road? <laughs> yeah, I tried to watch a little bit. I'd kind of recap and and watched, you know, honestly, actually, I need to watch a little more of the show jumping. I watched some really exciting rides um, from the dressage. The Brits just uh, had some very good rides. Lottie Fry's test was just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Um, and there were a few other really standout rides. So I've watched a little bit of the show jumping. Um, gonna go back and yeah, I feel like the same. I like for some reason the, the show jumping or the dressage, because I think it was a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, seemed like it was a lot easier to watch. And then all of a sudden I like woke up and the show jumping was happening one morning. <laughs> you know? Well, I was trying 
follow on the website to at least sort of like check in with results. But at least for the show jumping, and I think it happened with the dressage too, there are other classes going on. Like there's some young or young adult, young rider, young horse. Like I, it, I just had a hard time following the schedule. I was like, I'll check when it's all done. Yeah, you're like yeah. surely there'll be something that'll pop up on Facebook and tell exactly. me exactly what happened. Tell me what I need to know. <laughs> yeah. So this is your first big senior team, right? Like you've done some Nations Cups and been involved in. Not, I mean, I guess I did Aachen last year. It wasn't officially a Nations Cup, I guess, but um, it was still a team competition. I think just was COVID and everything. They didn't really do those last year. So that was really my only um, experience. So yeah, this is my first senior, you know, team championship, but it's, it's really exciting because Lauren, Will, and Tammy were at Aachen last year. So, um, and obviously Boyd and Philip are amazing and very well-versed in being teammates. So um, we've kind of had that opportunity to mesh as a team before. So I think that that's going to be um, a really good base for us to build, build on over the next few weeks. Yeah. I mean, I remember um, when you guys got, I mean, I remember chatting with you at Stableview when, when mm-hmm. you guys got back from Aachen and it was just like, it was so felt like what America needed. Like it was a really positive experience. It what it didn't feel like a one-off. It felt like a real team competition. And, and how was the culture there? How did that, that feel when all of you guys, you know, came together? It was great. And I think, what really worked is everybody was so respectful and supportive at the same time. And, you know, we were giving each other, you know, information on the course. And even we had a little training session um, in Germany in the lead up and everybody was kind of doing what their horse needed. As far as the prep, there wasn't sort of a forced, you know, routine, but I think we all just were able to work in a really safe space. And, And we were talking you know, weeks before Aachen and all sort of communicating. So there's just a lot of openness and honesty um, and knowing that we had, you know, respect and support from from the other riders on the team. And I think that just goes a long way. You know, the Olympics, you know, had happened and then Aachen came up very quickly afterwards. So I think that, you know, we as the teammates kind of had to figure a few things out for ourselves and sort of timing and prep and it was it was good to to have that early communication and um, be able to be there for each other, you know, yeah. without without having too much dictated, I guess. And I and I but I think that's what's going to happen again, you know. Looking up to looking forward to the world championships is everybody's you know comes from a little bit different space, has a little bit different program, and at the end of the day, we all know how to prep our horses. We've all been partnered with our horses for a long time, and you know, to, for everybody to feel like there's a safe space to do what they need to do and have the support of everybody else behind them is, I think, going to be really, really beneficial. Yeah, it's like, it just feels like times before, and, and I can I can speak to it personally, my experiences have been, like, there's often, um, like, an air of, of mystery around some stuff, and you're not really sure where you're supposed to be, and what you're supposed to be. And, <laughs> and they're often in, in situation has been, have been extreme senior members of the team yeah. and then very new members of the team. And I even find that I'm sure you do too. Um, like when you're teaching or doing it, it or you have staff, 
sometimes you don't actually realize the massive educational gap between when you've been doing something forever, like this is your 42nd team competition to like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I've never been (laughs) help me, (laughs) you know, and that's, I am feel so like honored and lucky to be on a team with these guys because everyone else has a lot of experience (laughs) and this is my first team. So I feel like I'm going to be, um, you know, sort of ushered around and told what I need, you know, where I need to go and what I need to do, um, which is great, but we all have that camaraderie. And so I think it's just, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be just a really good vibe. And, and Bobby and Max have done an amazing job stepping in as interim chef and team facilitator. And there's just, and, and Christina Vaughn and all the, support staff at the USCF, like we have, you know, itineraries and timelines and there's just been a really, really good sort of method for sharing information and giving us as much um, ahead of time as we can so that we can prepare. And, you know, cause it's the travel schedule is just insane <laughs> to get there. Cause it's a lot of travel, a lot of moving pieces and there's a lot going on. And I like to plan. I like to have everything <laughs> listed out and calendars and spreadsheets and all of that. So the more information I have ahead of time, that helps sort of me feel confident. And it's just, it's been a good, um, I think they're, they're doing a really good job of, of laying everything out for us. That's amazing. Well, it feels like everybody, although there's like some, you know, as far as the actual experience, there's some people that have been there more and people that are new, but it doesn't feel like anybody's new to the conversation. You know, it feels like between Bobby and Max and the team and the alternates, it feels like everybody has been very much working in this space together for a while in, in different capacities. And like you said, there's a mutual respect there as every, and responsibility. It feels like everybody recognizes there's an individual responsibility in being part of a team, which I think, you know, is probably, actually probably helps in the camaraderie part Absolutely. of it. Yeah. And that's like, I've had some conversations with other writers and, you know, Leslie Law and like other, other people who are involved more in leadership and that obviously you have to be a teammate and contribute and support and do what's, you know, needs to be done for the team. But within that, and I think for that to work, you have to have your own individual, you know, rider responsibility. Like, you know, you and only you are responsible for your own performance. And obviously that's contributing to the overall team and it is a team effort, but you kind of have to break that down. And I think where we are at right now with changes, you know, in the U.S. elite eventing program and all of that, while everything seems like it's sort of been a little bit empty and a little open-ended, it has allowed all the riders to go back and sort of work on themselves. And I think sort of take that responsibility back um, on us, you know, then it is, it's up to us as the riders to produce the performance. And, you know, at the end of the day, if we don't do the homework and show up, that's, that's not anybody, that's not a coach's fault. That's not anybody else's fault. That's our fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. It's like, yeah, the, the one, the one real controllable you have is, is internal (laughs) and and recognizing that there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen and that's not going to be planned, planned as much as possible, but you can control how prepared and how reactionary you are to those things. So I think as long as you feel good that everybody is doing that same thing, it kind of does give a little piece to the whole situation. Now, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, a talk to us about 
just because I like this part, <laughs> is talk to us about um, the day the team was getting named. Like, where were you? What were you doing? Were you freaking out? I was freaking out. I knew that the last meeting was at like three o'clock in the afternoon and nobody was going to do anything. <laughs> so I'll preface this by saying like, this is the first year that I have applied for a senior team and felt like, oh, I might have a chance. So kind of all spring, like a couple people asked like, oh, are you aiming Simon for the world championships? And I was like, well, I'm just going one step at a time. And he was going to go to badminton. And I was like, you know, I'm just focused on badminton. If he has a good result and things work out great. But, you know, so that was the goal, but I was trying not to get too wound up earlier on in the year. You know, you just sort of have to still take it one day, one day at a time. Um, yeah. So we had vet evaluations that weekend and I was up in Virginia and then Went to Pennsylvania to train. I'm going to stop you for a second because I know what vet evals are, but a lot of our <laughs> listeners don't. So, so can you explain what that means? <laughs> yeah. So the horses are looked at by Susan Johns, the team vet, you know, and they're jogged and flexed and scanned. And, and it's a pretty in-depth look at the horses. And obviously we all know our horses and we all take the best care of them. But, and I, like, I have faith in my horse. I know he's sound. I know everything's good, but it's still nerve wracking as can be because you've got, you know, that whole week I was like, Oh, you know, one little thing, one little cut, one little bump or something. And like, it's all just going to go out the window. So we took him to Virginia and he was checked out and then we continued on our way. I'd brought a few horses because that was kind of our, uh, marathon week of some different shows and training. So we were up in Pennsylvania. So that, yeah, that was Sunday, vet evaluations in the morning, drove to Pennsylvania, rode all the horses. And I knew that we wouldn't get the notification early in <laughs> the day on Monday. I knew there were a lot of communications and decisions that need to be made. And then obviously it has to be approved by the committees and all that. So I knew it was going to be a long day, but yeah, then all of a sudden it was like four o'clock and I was like, ah, okay, I mean, maybe, you know, you just don't know exactly what time and Annie who owns Simon for me, um, she was calling and texting me. She was like, do you know anything? Do you know anything? And I was trying not to get too worked up, but Annie was just like a little kid on Christmas, just like, <laughs> just couldn't wait. And I was just, I don't know, when I get a little bit stressed, like I just sort of get quiet and I try to like avoid it. And Annie was just like trying to confront it. And it was really funny. Sitting in the corner of the room, staring at the wall, stop texting me. Exactly. <laughs> I've ridden my horses all day. Like, you know, just trying not to think about it. And I was like, well, if they're going to pick me, they'll pick me and I'll know when I know. You know, there's it's out of my control. I guess that was a big thing. Like, mm -hmm. I was talking to my groom, Meredith, earlier in the day. I was like, you know, I've done everything I can. It's at this point, you just wait. So I was trying not to get too anxious. But um, yeah, then Bobby called me. Um, and that was really exciting because I've ridden with Bobby. He's been a coach and mentor of mine for years. So it was exciting to get the call from him that Simon and I were picked for the squad. And so there was sort of some immediate relief, to be honest. Like you could take a deep breath and be like, okay, it's over. <laughs> uh, or at least that part. Um, yeah, and then it starts again. <laughs> yeah, and then it's so obviously like very excited, very honored to be picked with such a great group of horses and riders and to be able to go represent the U.S. is just really, really exciting um, and an amazing opportunity. But I think very quickly, even within that conversation with Bobby, it was like, yep, okay, that's done. Move on to the next. What's the plan? You know, how are we going to prep? Because I had, as a 
it kind of in the back of my mind, I had like I had entered Burley. And so I kind of had two different plans going um, of what Simon would need to do for preps and runs. And so just very quickly said, okay, finalize the plan. This is what we're going to do. And, um, you know, put my nose down and get to work. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so how much, um, how much of a shift was there after that? Like how much of a shift was there in your daily training and your program and the direction logistically that you were headed? Probably wasn't actually a huge plan shift for Simon other than um, just going to like, now he's going to go to Great Meadow and cause I had actually had Bromont on my radar too for Burley and that allowed actually being selected allowed me to make a plan for my other horses um, that are running at three and four star and sort of what I'm going to do with them. So Simon had actually probably didn't change a whole lot. We were already, already had a training plan for the month of August and, um, you know, with some show jumping at Princeton and a dressage show, and then he'd run one event and go off. So, um, but it just allowed me to solidify what I was going to do for my gallops and sort of when, and, um, but as far as his training, you know, on the flat and jumping, um, it kind of about stayed the same. I would say my prep for either, like if he had gone to Burley or the world championships would be about the same. So. Right. Right. So, so now like as far as your communication with the crew and the team and everything, do you guys check in? Do you have like uh, training sessions that are happening before Great Meadow? Do you talk once a week? You guys got a text group. <laughs> Can I be in it? <laughs> it's like an official WhatsApp group. Um, and then we do have another text group, um, you know, which doesn't have to be quite as PC, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got to have two. You always have to have two groups. <laughs> you know, the official one and then the fun one. Yeah. <laughs> I know my staff has that too. <laughs> which concerns me, but yeah. <laughs> so we, there was a conversation about getting to Great Meadow a little early and having a couple days together. But I, after all sort of sitting down and we had a meeting last week talking about that, we opted to all stay at home and just have a couple more days at home for our horses. I think that given how much travel, I mean, cause they, we, we ship out of the U S the horses ship on the fourth. Um, oh, wow. So that's, that's their, you know, shipping out 10 days ahead of the competition. So there's, there's a lot of travel for them to get all the way to Protoni. So I think to sort of keep the horses happiest, um, we all chatted and decided a couple more extra days at home for them getting turned out and sort of not having too much, you know, not being a stall for a week at Great Meadow was in the best interest of the horses. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll all get there, get to Great Meadow on Wednesday, but um, in shipping over early for Petoni, we've got six days in France and Battelle at a training center there. So that I think will give us time in addition to the time we'll spend together at Great Meadow to sort of have some team bonding and get all the horses in the right space and let them recover from the travel and, and do sort of our final prep prep work for Petoni. And, and we've got a we've got a gallop uh, that we'll do as a team. Well, obviously not all together, but that would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> but so we've got it. We've got a sort of few team team outings together, and then. But I think that I think that time in France will be great, and we've all been talking and sort of coordinating travel, and you know we're going to share cars and all of that. So there's been a lot of conversations around logistics and 
So you you guys will do Great Meadow, and then where do the horses go? I'm going to Pennsylvania from there because we have a final gallop. It was going to be at Gladstone, but I think it's actually going to be in Pennsylvania now on Saturday on the 3rd before the horses fly out the next day. So it, I just where didn't. Where are they flying from? Uh, JFK. JFK. So they'll go from PA to JFK. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't really, it doesn't make sense for me to go all the way home to North Carolina. And, um, I actually spend a bit of time in Pennsylvania when I need to, to, to get some training in because I still work with Eric Devander a lot. And so that's kind of a good spot to meet up. And Simon's happy there. There's a barn that we always go to and he gets turned out and uh, he's happy and all that. So yeah, so I'll be in Pennsylvania for that week until we have our final gallop and then the horses go to the airport. Then they fly, they go to France for a little under a week mm-hmm. and then they fly. And then they drive down. They drive. To they there. Yeah. It is quite the ordeal. It is quite the ordeal. <laughs> <laughs> for all the people at the USCF that have had to sit down and work this all out. Oh um, they've done a great job. It is a process. So you seem like a pretty level human. <laughs> Every time, and I remember actually, I mean, it was a thousand years ago, and um, I don't think you would have even remembered, but I, I went to jump with Bobby before something. I was in North Carolina, and I called him and said, can I come jump with you? I need some help. And I think you were coming or going, and you would come and take in a lesson, or maybe you were there, whatever, and I mentioned something, and he, I just remember him just saying, yeah, that girl's got her head on straight, <laughs> you know, which was like, you know, I mean, Bobby's always so nice, but it. Mm-hmm. Definitely like it stuck, you know, I I remember it very clearly. And a lot of people would say, wow, where is she? She, This girl's come out of nowhere. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, (laughs) you know, no, you've been kind of away at it for quite some time. So can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, it sounds like you kind of started like everybody else, you know, in the barn doing the stuff and then moved on to a working student position or working for someone or how did that how did how did that work? Yeah. So I grew up in Vermont eventing and I actually had my first upper level horse was a homebred of ours at a Connemara mare and we bred her and the horse was born when I was 11, I guess. So I had him and he ended up going intermediate and doing a three star, just a three star short, but that was a horse I had sort of through high school and into college and ended up we ended up buying a sibling, a weanling sibling of his that ended up being my first advanced horse. But anyways, I went to high school in Vermont and actually had my first trip to Southern Pines my senior year because um, the trainer I was working with in Vermont would come down for a couple weeks. And my mom told me that if I did really well <laughs> on my AP exams, I could take two weeks off from school and go down south. So I did that, but then I went to the University of Vermont. I really wanted to take time off to ride, and my mom was adamant that that was not even remotely an option, which she was right, of course, because <laughs> it was just not not the right time for me, and so I'm really glad I went to school and graduated from UVM with a degree in microbiology, and I started working in a research lab and was riding on the side had a few horses, a couple of horses of my own, a couple of horses in training. And I did that for about a year and I was miserable. Oh, really? <laughs> I was trying so hard to, you know, like have a real person job. And 
no, wasn't. Yeah, the, the shoe doesn't fit. <laughs> no, wasn't wasn't working. So that was so then I moved ended up moving down to Southern Pines to work for a lady I knew from Vermont. I was just riding for her and that's how I met Annie Eldridge um, in early 2012. And mm -hmm. it's actually a really funny story. So she, I was riding with a friend of hers and living there and I just needed a job to make some money because I had two horses I was paying for and I was working off, you know, my housing and stuff. But I started helping Annie. She had one horse there that needed to be ridden during the week because the kid was, a girl was leasing him and was down the weekend. So I was exercise riding one horse and like running errands for Annie, grocery shopping, helping like do mail, you know, help her with the mail and all sorts of stuff. So it was just kind of funny. And then, then she invited me to come up to Massachusetts with her because she had a summer place in Massachusetts and she ended up bringing a couple horses that had been ridden by other people came back to her and I sort of slowly started riding and that was 10 and a half years ago. So... <laughs> So we just, and then we bought, that was, I started working for her in 2012. And then in 2014, some of the horses we had were just getting a little older and sort of maxing out. And we decided that I'd take a trip to Ireland and look for some young horses. And that's when I found Simon. So that's so yeah, incredible. Been growing from there. And so, I mean, I've been eventing my whole life and sort of been working away at it, but Simon really just has been an amazing, you know, sort of horse of a lifetime for me because I had done a couple advanced horse trials on a previous horse, but he's my first four-star horse, first five-star horse, and he's taken me so many amazing places. Um, and, you know, hopefully we've got a lot to do still. Yeah. Is it, do you ever kind of, I remember this with Tate, like when, because it was, he was kind of similar to Simon for, for me mm -hmm. in that. I never, like it was on the process and I didn't quite notice it all the time, but you just kind of keep ticking off the thing and ticking off the thing and ticking off the thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, nothing. I haven't had like this big roadblock yet, which is weird because <laughs> these other horses, there's been something. <laughs> like, and you just slowly keep. Slowly keep going. And, and, you know, I mean, you know, from riding Tate, like they're a little quirky and you just sort of keep like chipping away and. You just have to accept all their little idiosyncrasies and work with it. I think that's a big thing I've learned. <laughs> Simon is to embrace his enthusiasm because you're not going to shut it down. And that's what makes him so good. But yeah, you know. I remember you saying that uh, like at Sableview when we were chatting, I asked you about Eric because I hadn't, mm -hmm. I, ha I haven't, I've known Eric um, from just spending time in certain social situations, but I haven't had the opportunity to really ride with him. And that's one of the things that stood out is you said that he really gets Simon and he gets that we're not going to necessarily like put a thumb on his head, like we've got to yeah. work with him. And that's been really great in your relationship. Yeah. And that, you know, and how important has that been for you in this whole process? It's been huge because Simon is, talented, but not an easy horse, particularly in the dressage, but even jumping. I mean, it's really only been in the last couple of years that he's actually a little more rideable and luckily he's scopy and careful. So I sort of got away with things to a certain point, but he is actually starting to feel a little bit more trained. But Eric started helping me in 2019. He ended up coming to North Carolina. I think it was either before Carolina or the Fork Oh, it was Carolina because I did that, um, did the, when they were doing the eventing team challenge mm -hmm. 
and our futures team challenge, excuse me. So I was named to that and I was on Eric's team and he helped me a little bit at Carolina. And then he was up in North Carolina again, I think before the fork or something. And we were at Will Faudry's and I was having a flat lesson and Eric got on him, <laughs> got on Simon. Most people don't want to do that because he's like fucking and squealing and being crazy. And Eric got on him and he just rode him for a while. And he's like, oh my God, I love this horse. Like he's great. Like, you know, not trained, but great. <laughs> so in that, I think he just really liked his spark and, and just liked the horse. And Eric has always understood him and has never you know, when he gets a little squirrely or gets a little rambunctious, you know, he's very calm about sort of helping me work through it and isn't, you know, oh, you've got to contain him and this and that, because you're not, you're not going to do that. And that's not fair to the horse. It's just who he is. He's not malicious or trying to be bad. He just like his exuberance, he can't help himself. And he gets a little, you know, he wants to, he does try hard. So he gets a little anxious on the flat and, but it all sort of comes from a good space. So you know, and being able to sort of manage, manage Simon's overall training schedule and making sure that, you know, he's able to go out and get, ha you know, hack enough and, and do all the things that sort of keep, how to, uh, Eric's helped me sort of formulate a plan on how to keep Simon's brain mm -hmm. uh, occupied, I guess, <laughs> and channel all the energy the right way. You know, and he, again, Simon wouldn't be a horse that you know, I think some people probably look at him and like, oh God, why would you want to ride that? <laughs> but, um, you know, I think he's perfect for you. Yeah, no, and Amy has worked really well for me and I spend a lot of time with him and I mean, I picked him out, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, but myself. <laughs> I remember, I remember reading something that like Philip wrote about Z and he's mm -hmm. like, well, like, I think it was Z that he was talking about, but it was like, well, like I picked him. And I've had him since he was young. So his faults are mine and his, you know, that like everything that he does is on me. Right. Like I can't even pick at him because this is, you know, the back and forth there, which, which I thought like, yeah, valid, but it also creates such a great relationship because you just kind of get it. And then there's, there's nothing better than having somebody in a role that is really attuned with that, that kind of can help you, but also sees it for what it is and isn't trying to kind of change everything. It just, I think in those situations as you're growing and, and kind of meeting those new expectations, it kind of gives you a little bit of faith in your feel. And then you're happy to get some help kind of navigating what you probably innately already know, but somebody can help you lay the ground rules because they've been there before. Yeah. Which is, which is so nice. I want to go back to Annie. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, like in my head, there's a few real, like, there's been so many key players uh, across our, our discipline and our sport for the last, you know, 20, 30 years, whatnot. But, you know, like I think of David and Karen, I think of Miss Mars and then Lauren and Hannah, I think of Miss Mars. I think of the gardeners and Jenny, I think of Jennifer Mosing and Faudry, you know, I think Liz and the, the Decino brothers. And I think of, of Annie and you, and it's just such a, um, an amazing back and forth. And I'd love if you could spend some time because a lot of people, and, and I'm sure you've run into this and I run into it sometimes, a lot of people don't get that relationship sometimes and how there really is a back and forth. And it's this journey and this like lifestyle that you go through together and that that relationship like is, is so much bigger than just she owns my horses and I ride her horses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. I mean, this is 
incredible. We've been talking about like, I was helping her with her groceries and like all this stuff. So, I mean, that's pretty inspiring. Can you talk about that or spend some time with that? Yeah. Well, Annie is just the most amazingly supportive person that, you know, I have in, in my corner. But, you know, it's funny. I think in the beginning, she didn't set out to be an owner. Like this wasn't the plan necessarily. It's just kind of a journey that's grown over the last 10 years. You know, she had an upper level eventing career herself and had horses. And unfortunately she had a stroke and then wasn't able to compete anymore. So I met her after that. And I think sort of when we started, she was really trying to help me. It wasn't it wasn't really about sort of any any end goal in particular. She just really sort of took me under her wing and, and, and was sort of really invested in trying to help me find the next step in my career. But, you know, I rode a few horses that she had owned for a while, you know, that she had competed herself. And I evented a couple of those for her. And then, and then we slowly sort of started buying young horses. But that is something that we really both enjoy and share together is picking out these horses and and sort of developing them and producing them you know something that she did when she rode she'd buy young horses and bring them along and so that's something that we continue doing and you know we both get to share that journey she's watching them train at home you know we're talking about their competition plans and training schedules and and she comes to a lot of the events so she's she's involved in sort of the horse's progression and, and what they're doing. So it's something that we, we do together. Yeah. It's not just sort of her owning the horses and she's like, Oh, go do whatever. And, you know, we check in every once in a while, like she and I are very close. Um, and, you know, we chat daily about the horses and what's going on. And so it's, it's something that's really special for both of us. And, you know, and we're family, <laughs> like she's not just my owner. Um, I, she doesn't have kids and, and I lost my mom several years ago. So it really, at this point, we're, we're family. So it's, it's a really, really special relationship that is um, amazingly supportive. She's so enthusiastic, so upbeat, you know, and things don't always go right. You know, you have problems. You, I've, I've made plenty of mistakes and we have to go back and fix things. And, you know, she's never upset. She, so I was like, okay, what, you know, this happened. How do we fix it? How do we move on? And so we're always just sort of looking towards the future. And, and we joke all the time that like, who would have thought this is where we'd be to, you know, 10 years ago, this was not you know, the vision that either of us had. And it's just kind of something that's grown over the last 10 years. And, uh, you know, really, really exciting journey for both of us. Mm, that's so awesome. So when you guys are, are working together and planning the schedule, does she come and watch the lessons and you guys have a real good back and forth about you know, what you're thinking and obviously an avid horsewoman and she's watching from the ground and seeing everything and having done it herself. I mean, is that somebody, I, I guess this is a silly question. It's like somebody really great to have in your corner that you value their opinion and can have a back and forth about each horse and what's going on and what, you know, how helpful is that? Yeah, it's great. I mean, she is wonderful in that, you know, I, I do get to sort of pick the schedules and pick what the horses are going to do, but you know, <laughs> every, you know, we're every little few months, we sort of sit down and talk about, okay, these horses are aimed at th these events. And this is our target, you know, spring mm -hmm. three day, or, you know, so this is the progression for the horse for the year, or maybe one has a setback, and we, you know, sit down and figure out how we're gonna, you know, 
go back a level and fix things or whatever. So yeah, she's a really good sounding board. And, and it, it's important too, as an owner that, you know, obviously I have my own goals personally. I have goals for the horses, but I need to make sure that I'm trying to achieve hers <laughs> as well because they are her horses. And while I will always voice, you know, what I think is best for the horse and, and will always reach an agreement that makes sense for the horses, I, it's also important that she has her input in what mm -hmm. she would like to see happen. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's, we're all, we're all, we're all part of the team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think once you get to that stage too, it's like, it's, it's like a, I mean, it's like a marriage. It's not all like, you know, Oh, great. We all agree. Everything's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you kind of got to lean in at the times that are a little bit of a discussion and have those discussions and sit in that for a little while. And, you know, sometimes looking at things from everybody's perspective, including, you know, the horses, you know, which can be obviously in, in there as well. Now, and she, I'm, I'm assuming she's coming to the world championships as well. <laughs> has, has that booked? Now, coming back to you, I, I touched on it earlier and then like I do, I get super sidetracked. Um, your, your kind of mindset, like you, is that something that you've worked on? Have you always naturally been a, you know, you said it earlier, you alluded to the fact when things get stressful, you get quiet. Mm -hmm. you know, is that your, you know, this, the mental game of things? How do you, how do you work on that? How do you, how do you do that? I've always been, I don't know if laid back is quite the right word, but I guess too, like, I'm just not a very emotional person. <laughs> so while some people might see that as a problem, I think for me, it really works in that I don't allow myself to get super worked up. That's just something that I, I guess I've sort of always been that way. So I just, it takes a bit of effort, yeah, to stay level-headed at big events and stuff. But I think something for me, like getting wound up and getting super nervous, just it's such negative energy and it's so draining. I just don't, I just don't go there. Like it just, that's just not like, not an option. Don't do that. Terrible <laughs> 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 idea. <laughs> and I've always been someone that, you know, if there's, you know, stressful or, you know, stress, chaos, anxiety, whatever. Like I just, I do better when I'm busy and I just like stay focused on what I can do and not get too concerned with things that are out of my control. You know, there are things we can control and there are things we can't. And like we talked in the beginning as a rider, like you can control yourself. There's, you can't control other people. You can't control a lot of things around you in the situation, but you can control yourself. So I think for me, trying to maintain, you know, a steady <laughs> mental state and a balance is important. And the horses feed off that too. I think that's something that, you know, I've not only learned from Simon, but I, I ride a lot of sort of quirkier, higher energy horses. And, you know, we're event riders, we're all sort of adrenaline junkies, but I've a bit learned that if I get super wound up and like a little too excited, you know, the horses feel that too. So, you know, obviously they're, there is excitement and adrenaline, but being able to just sort of stay as even keeled as possible helps me as a rider, but is also sort of calming for the horses too. Yeah. And not along that line, uh, what, how would you say your relationship with pressure is? Do you notice it? Does it help? Does it hurt? Like how, how do you handle kind of the pressure? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it helps. And somebody was asking me the other day, like about riding at badminton. Like, oh, do you notice like there's so many people watching, and you know, there are so many spectators there on cross country. And you know, honestly, I don't really notice <laughs> the people when I'm riding. I mean, I did visually because going cross country, there's so many people you could barely see where you were galloping. But I guess I put so much pressure on myself, and and you know, in an individual view, like just wanting to give the best performance. Like I want to be jumping clear and, and, you know, pr you know, producing the best result I possibly can. So mm -hmm. I don't think there's too many situations that are going to put more pressure, on more you. pressure than I already put on myself. And obviously like looking ahead to the world championships, there's the added team pressure and representing the U S and I'm very cognizant of all of that, but it's important to me that I treat this at least in my prep, like, like I would for any other international that I've gone to, like, you know, just, it, yes, it's the world championships and it's a huge deal, but my prep and the process that I've done for other events has gotten me to this point. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's no reason to let that sort of change how I've operated in the past, if that makes yeah. sense. Absolutely. Well, and going and competing in places like badminton and Burley and Aachen and all of these intense places that also are unfamiliar. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things as well. Like if, if you're privileged enough to go to Kentucky just as a spectator and then to ride, you get really familiar with like everything, like, like where the bathroom is, you know, like that yeah. matters. <laughs> You know, you go to a team competition, you go somewhere, you're like, I have no idea. <laughs> well, and that's, it's funny, like, I've joked with, like, Bobby and Will Fodry and Eric, like, I went to Kentucky, and, and I was, like, you know, sitting down making a plan with each of them, and they're like, and I was like, what do I do now? And they're like, go to Burley. And I was like, really? And they said, yeah. And I was like, okay. And then, like, we went to Burley, and like, what do we do next? Like, well, I guess there was COVID, so that got in the way for a year. But it's always just kind of been, like, you know, go to this event, tick the box, like, where do we go next? And, you know, that's something every, like, unfortunately, I've, I've had any support and I've gotten some USET grants to travel. And I just sort of keep trying to go those new places. And I've been really lucky to, Simon's gone overseas four times wow. um, to compete. And we just sort of keep going to new events and keep putting ourselves in different situations. Cause you know, and I'm just gaining, gaining invaluable mileage on him. Um, and it's just amazing, but that, you know, gives you confidence over time that you can go to a new place and be able to sort of get your bearings and figure it out. And mm -hmm. I think too, we, in the U S I know we're isolated geographically and it it's hard and it costs a lot of money to go overseas, but we get so comfortable with the events that we go, you know, going to the Carolina horse park, going to, stable view and you know try on like any of those places that you've been to a million times yeah you know the layout you know the course you might only have to walk the cross-country course once because you know how the track's going to go anyways <laughs> whereas you go somewhere new and you're like i don't even know where the cross-country is <laughs> the logistics of different events like my first overseas event was in 2019 i did mill street ahead of burley and you like the main competition, like stabling and arenas were in one place. And then you had like hacks, hack down through the town to get to the cross country. You know, it's just like all those little things that are just totally different and weird. And, you know, being able to 
have different venues that have different layouts and routines and realize that while we all have our sort of our warm-up routines and our ideal prep that just because logistics change a little bit, like being able to go with the flow and know that you can still produce a good result, even though your prep isn't exactly the same as it was for Kentucky where you're sort of in the same space the whole time and, um, or, or various events that you're more comfortable and more familiar with. Well, yeah. I think that's the, you know, the thing that we try and do constantly is like strength is in flexibility, right? Like you've got to be able to, um, in those situations, be like, okay, <laughs> here we are and we're okay and we're prepared and we can handle it this way. Yeah. Um, so I think that is something huge. And obviously as preparation for, for the championships, having been in those different situations is only, well, and I think too, we talked about it actually, I think before, quickly it was coming up before we got on this call and I made the girls stop asking you about it. <laughs> I was like, stop, we have to save this for the podcast. But, um, you know, I, I thought I was avidly, you know, following as I do kind of everything that's going on. And this is the first time I will tell you, this is the first time ever that I picked the exact right team. <laughs> well, like, this is the team I picked. I was like, you know, this makes sense here. And this makes sense here. And, you know, coming up, through the spring season, it really was quite influential in my non-important pick where everybody was getting their qualifiers or not even their qualifiers, but their final results. Like it made a big deal. And then you kind of look back into, you know, certain pressurized situations like Aachen, competitions that are massive and crazy, like badminton, working well with a team. There's all these factors. And then knowing that Petroni is going to be, you know, the horses are going to need to be fit and there's tons of undulating ground, which Burley, you know, like badminton's flat, Burley's got terrain. And so you kind of, it, it's so funny because it's like, this keeps coming back around with you and Simon. It's just like, check, yeah. check. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all of a sudden you go, okay, this is kind of, this is making sense, right? This feels, this feels really, um, this feels really good. So, you know, you had said that, I think you said, I'm really excited about this team and I'm excited about the next, the next month and, and what's to come. And I just, I couldn't agree with you more. Well, I think we're all, we're all very excited. Okay. What is the biggest lesson a horse has taught you about yourself? I think this goes for myself and, and for the horses that I train, like there is no way to speed up time. <laughs> like you cannot make time faster, right? <laughs> like you just, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm an impatient person, but you know, as you're training and you're working things on things like you want it now, right? Like I want to be better at, you know, riding this combination or this half pass or whatever. Like I want to be a better rider now. And that just doesn't work that way. Right. You know? And, and so I think like learning to just sort of take a deep breath, like trust in the process and know that if you put the work in over time, like you will get there. Mm -hmm. But um, nothing about riding, you know, becoming a better rider, becoming a better competitor or training horses, nothing is instantaneous. And, mm. you know, as a, as someone who is a planner and is very goal oriented, like, you know, it's easy to get a little fixated on, on wanting, wanting things to be, to be ready now and mm. to be better now. And that's just not reality. <laughs> so, so there's no, there's no substitute for, for time. And, and I think that goes for training the horses too. I, I, you know, even when you're on a really talented young horse, 
you know, they're not strong enough or they're not fit enough yet to be able to give you the desired results that you want. Um, you know, and even though they're ticking all the boxes, like you just, you know, we always want more, right? <laughs> but it's just, it's just going to take, going to take time. And, and every time the horses have a break or a vacation, you know, I, I try to give my horses plenty of time off, not just at the end of the season, but little mid season breaks, particularly for the young horses. And I'm always amazed that they come back better, <laughs> better for, you know, the two weeks off or whatever. And um, so it's just, you know, and you don't want to speed things up too fast. So, so that I think is try to be a little more patient. <laughs> so, it's, it's funny that you say that uh, literally like a half an hour before we got on this call, I, um, I had two things happen. One thing I called, we, we have kind of a night, nice, we, well, it's a nice young horse that I didn't, really think, I mean, I'll say, I didn't think it was going to be as nice as it is. <laughs> um, and it really has been surprised. Yeah. You know, and to be honest with you, it's been at the farm for a while. It just, he was in Tick's program because he was kind of, you know, he had some struggles coming in and Tick's just taken a super long time with him. And then the other day I saw him and I thought, that's kind of a nice horse. I'll take him. And um, I'm ready to come to me now. <laughs> here we go. Um, but anyway, he hadn't even jumped. He'd been here for a while. He hadn't jumped. And I popped him over a couple of fences and he's really careful. Right. And all of a sudden I feel my brain start going, okay, well, I can do this, 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 I'll go cross country schooling next week. And then I'm going to do that. And then I could probably enter him. And then I just, you know, you just hard stop. I, I, I called the owner and I said, my, and I said it more for me. She doesn't care. I said yeah. it for me. I said, I'm going to teach, I'm going to take three months. I wrote that down three months to teach this horse how to be confident. Yeah. Just jumping tiny little starter things and whatnot. And it is so hard. I was, I was like in three weeks, in like three, no, in three weeks, I'm gonna have this knocked out. <laughs> Because I want to be out there doing this stuff, you know, and it's just, um, yeah, taking that moment and going, you know, like almost putting it, writing it down because it's actually not that long, you know, like once I'm like, that's, you know, October, that's nothing. That's still hot here. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's also part of the thing that drives you to be so good, you know, like it's the thing that gets you you know, it gets you out of the bed. It gets you traveling all God knows all over the country and all these competitions and going to, you know, overseas is that like want to be good. But yeah, I think that's the thing that the horses keep us in check is like, yeah. (laughs) I, again, I love to plan and I just like endless spreadsheets and calendars and but I think like taking a, an assessment at least once a month of each horse and like, okay, are we on target? Are we ahead of, I mean, sometimes you end up a little ahead, sometimes mm-hmm. a little behind. And so I try to sort of channel some of that into to planning and restructuring too, and, and being mm-hmm. able to change, change plans to give the horses what they need. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're not, they're yeah. not as linear as we are. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Do you have a favorite training or competition mantra that you reference regularly? I guess I was thinking about this. I think there are two things that I think of and actually are sort of go along with what we were just talking about. And one of them, and as I say this sometimes when I'm teaching, is that horses go the way we ride them. Mm-hmm. Like, 
you know, and, and for me, that means like that my intentions are, you know, focused in the right way. And I'm giving the horse everything I can possibly provide for them and structure in my own mental awareness and everything. And like, they only go as well as they ride. Like they are not machines, <laughs> even a trained horse, you know, you expect to press, you know, these buttons and get X result, but that's just not reality. They're living, breathing animals that have emotions and have other ideas <laughs> sometimes about what they're going to do. So at the end of the day, like, you know, you have to ride well in order for the horses to go well. And that's, you know, a rider responsibility. And uh, the other thing, uh, forgive me, I'm not going to remember who said this quote, but it was some coat, football coach or something. But there's a quote, quote, quote that somebody told me a long time ago. So it's practice does not make perfect, only perfect practice. Makes perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of goes along I have to think of it in the way that, you know, as you're riding, you know, we only have so many flat, you know, dressage rides a week that we can do on our horses. We have to train so many different disciplines. And so every movement counts, every transition, even a walk trot, you know, some basic, basic transitions, even if you're working on higher level movements, like every single thing counts And, and horses learn by repetition. So you have to repeat things the right way. You're not doing the horse any service or you any service as a rider doing things, you know, subpar. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're, I mean, I'm perfectly guilty of, you know, being distracted sometimes while riding or just kind of, oh, I just need to warm up so I can go jump these jumps or whatever and being in a rush. But um, trying to have that mindfulness and awareness that every single movement, every aid is the quality that you ultimately need to have in the ring for a world championship, right? (laughs) You have to practice that stuff in order to be good at and practice to that level and to that degree of detail. Yeah. I I was watching um, on Noel Floyd, um, Ian Miller's masterclass. Mm -hmm. It's really good. And it reminds me of that quote. And he said, um, don't, don't practice until you get it right. Practice till you can't get it wrong. Yeah. Which was like, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. And, and, and it even reminds me like back a million years ago, um, riding with Mark Phillips and he would always talk about Kim Severson and how like, it didn't matter what you were working on. If she had a bad walk transition, walk trot transition, and she was going to work on a flying chain, she just, Oh, would, oh you'd never even have to tell her. She just do it again. You know, yeah. you just never, you just do it again, do it again, do it again. And it, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's the, not skipping those foundations and and realizing like people of your caliber that are, you know, we're at team competitions and doing incredibly well are paying attention to that level of detail. I think people think it's more magical or complicated than that. And it's not, it's more discipline related, you know, like it's being disciplined about the simple things that is the hardest stuff I think to do and to believe you know like you really want to believe it's like a lot more (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot more magic not just like disciplined as hell (laughs) well that's too like you know it should like you should be doing all the homework doing like you know even upper level horses we still spend so much time on the basics and like you know Mm -hmm. fundamental transitions and their throughness and like you always sort of go back to those sort of I want to say easier things, but you go back to the basics and and make sure you have all your steps uh, there. But 
you know, you're doing all that work and, and being so, you know, creating such a solid connection with those things that when you show up to that five-star, that team championship, it's no surprise when it goes well, right? Like you shouldn't leave things up to, to magic or the stars aligning. Like you need to have everything so solid and so well-practiced that it's not a shock when it goes well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was David used to always say that he used to say like, I practice at such a high percentage at home that I can be still winning on 70%, you know, like that it doesn't matter. Is there a piece of advice someone gave you along the way that you still reference today? I think one thing, like I've always been a pretty independent person. Like I, I have a lot of people luckily that I can lean on for advice on training, managing the horses, all that, but I've sort of always been on my own. Um, and I like early on, I've just had a lot of people give me really, really good advice in it, but I've sort of been able to form my own program and, you know, just being able to feel confident to trust in that and that, you know, you can trust your instincts and, you know, listen, listen to the horse, listen to your gut and that will, Mm. sort of help you find that direction and I think sometimes I've sort of wondered if I had made a mistake you know not going to like I have ridden with five-star riders but I've never been based with anyone you know in that sort of intense of a program and I've certainly made lots of mistakes <laughs> and sort of found my way but being a little bit of a quieter person and sort of being able to sort of in, in an individual way figure out what program works for me and then you know, having people tell me like, trust, you know, trust that, trust yourself, trust your horse. Mm. Um, I think that's been really important and has sort of helped me get to, to where I am. Yeah. It's like a, a self-belief. Yeah. And I, and I realized like, I've learned a lot. I still have so much to learn. <laughs> Riding horses is so humbling because you're, you can always be better. You can always learn something new. Um, you know, they're just, you're, you're, the journey never ends. And, and it's always amazing. Like, I think, oh, if I had known now what I knew, you know, knew five years ago, what I knew now, or 10 years or any of that. And I look back, I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, <laughs> how did I ever get through that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I realized that, that I have so much more to learn, but um, being able to have a program and, and, have uh, activities and, and training methods that you can, that are reproducible that you can sort of get back to and trust in um, is is really important. Yeah, 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 one hundred percent. There's a different. It's not always what you do; it's how you do it, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't sound like you're making yourself an island. Yeah, here you know, like you're just you and you're good at being you and then you're asking for advice and seeking help and aware of the horses and listening to that. It's not that you're turning a blind eye. It's just no. that you're from a, a settled neutral, if that makes sense. And then everything else is coming in and out. Mm -hmm. um, what do you do when you are seeking inspiration? Um, I'm really fortunate that the farm we're based at has a lot of space to ride on it. Um, and we have really great trail, like trails where I got trotting, you know, for hours and all that. So I'm able to change it up a lot for the horses. And I think when I'm 
feeling a little stuck in my own riding or with a particular horse. And I feel like I've just sort of plateaued. Like I go back to what makes the particular horse I'm on happier. Like hmm. what kind of ride do I need today? Like, do I need to just, do we both need to just go canter around the hills for a while? Like yeah. you know, it's, this is the horses need to be happy. And although it's a lot of work, like you have to enjoy it. It's a lot of, you know, endless hours in the saddle, tons of work, tons of, you know, input in so many ways of resources, you know, time, money, effort, all of those things into having upper level event horses, but like you have to enjoy it at the end of the day. So I guess if I'm ever feeling a little stuck, I go back to, you know, what do I enjoy? What does the horse enjoy? You know, what sort of ride do we need to reset? And if that's going out, you know, just trotting for a while or, um, you know, just getting back to making sure the horse is having fun yeah. uh, and enjoying their work. And then, then that often like, you know, I'll be trotting or canning around on the hills and, you know, I find, oh, well, the horse is a little crooked this way or something like something you wouldn't feel if you were just drilling them on the flat in the dress mm -hmm. over and over and over again. But I guess I just sort of try to change it up. I ride the horses out, you know, in the field or on the trails a lot. Um, and I think that that just, you have to find a way to sort of hit that mental reset yeah. button um, a little bit. And I think another thing I like to do is it's really, really helpful to watch videos of other rides. If, you know, if I'm like, feeling like I'm struggling a little bit with something in the show jumping, you know, to go watch McLean Ward ride around or, you know, just like go, go study people who are really, really good and watch their rides. And that will often sort of spark something that, oh, I, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way or, or to see something visually that you're struggling with the feet. Like I know what it feels like when this doesn't go right, but then to be able to see it or something like that, it, I think it helps to watch a lot. It's so funny. Like, I'm sure you do this. I'll do it every now and then I'll like be riding and I'll do something. And I'm like, oh, that's what Will Coleman looks like. You know, like I just did something that looks like that's what it must feel like when he does that. Or yeah. like, that's what it must feel like when Boyd or, you know, like or Beezy or something just from watching it. And it's all of a sudden it's like the visual and the feeling meet. And yeah. it's kind of a cool, a cool thing. All right, our last question. Have you had an experience or adversity separate from horses in your life that you feel has directly influenced you as a horsewoman? Uh, I think something that's really shaped me is I lost my mom suddenly um, in 2013. Mm -hmm. And she had always been there supporting my riding. And, um, you know, she, when I was growing up, you know, I didn't have fancy horses or anything. I like rode free rejects, but you know, she'd wake up in the middle of the night and drive me to whatever horse show we needed to go to. Or, I mean, she just made so many sacrifices um, to try to help me ride and compete. And um, you know, she went sort of beyond her means to try to try to help um, help me. And that that support was just. Um, you know, unbelievably uh, sort of encouraging for me, right? And and so losing her was really tricky um, and, and really, really hard because while I have other supportive people, like, you know, someone who just blindly believes in you all the time and is always going to be supportive, losing that is, is hard. Mm -hmm. um, but so that has 
sort of shaped how I went on. She, uh, my first advanced horse is actually she owned. She had we had bought the horse for her as a weanling. It was supposed to be my mom's horse, and I stole it. Um, mine. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I backed her, and I was like, this is a really nice horse. <laughs> so I stole her. Um, so just sort of like continuing to ride, like ride that horse in my mom's memory, and and then just sort of um, as I continue on, like she's she's sort of always always with me, and um, I know that she would be supportive and watching. So that's. Um, was was a bit difficult, but also at the same time, just sort of real made me realize like I need to seize this, need to go for it, and and you know take, you know take the opportunities that come about because you you only get one shot, so you gotta take it. I think that's such a powerful. It's such a powerful thing, especially when you have someone that just like you said, like blindly, like just believes that you can do it. You know that you can do it, and they'll just get up and do anything. And I think that imparts a certain amount of. Um, yeah, that self-belief that that I can do this and I can go down this road, which um, has got to have a better, it's got to have good energy, you know, mm -hmm. like the good energy. And like you said earlier, the horses can, can thrive on that. And like what I, you know, even just in this short time in this, this call, it, like your energy is just so, it is mellow and it is even, but it's just really good, you know? And so I'm not surprised that the horses you know, really enjoy spending time with you. <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of that, you know, was imparted from, from your, from your mom. And yeah. uh, so amazing to have you carrying on now and to be where you are and doing what you're doing and have any, any in your corner and yeah, absolutely. Fabulous, fabulous horse and a handful of other fabulous ones coming mm -hmm. behind. So, um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with us. I, I know this is going to come out right before Petroni, and you're going to have hundreds of thousands. That's how many people listen to this. <laughs> Five new fans. <laughs> um, and I wish you all the best. Um, thank you. You're off to then. Where are you going now? What's the next? Um, so we go to Great Meadow next Great week. Meadow. Yeah. this week and then and then to the moon and yeah <laughs> well best of luck with everything and um we'll be watching from here in rainy florida <laughs> awesome thank you so much Sinead. i really appreciate it it's been a pleasure thanks ariel i really hope you enjoyed that conversation before you go i just want to let you know more about ride iq at its core, Ride IQ gives everyone access to instruction from the best equestrian coaches in the world. It might sound impossible, but with Ride IQ, you get access to the private mobile app that has hundreds of on-demand, listen-while-you-ride audio lessons taught by top riders and coaches in eventing, hunter jumpers, and dressage. Here's how it works. You look through the app and choose a lesson based on your horse or a skill you're working on. There are lessons for green off-the-track thoroughbreds and nervous horses and horses that are behind the leg, as well as lessons that teach every stage of skills like shoulder in or trot lengthenings. Then you tack up and press play and you have a top coach like Doug Payne or Leslie Law or Gina Smith in your ear guiding you every step of the way. If you enjoyed today's episode, it is always appreciated if you can take a moment to share the podcast with your friends and family and leave a review on your podcast app. The best way to support the podcast is to become a Ride IQ member at ride-iq.com. 
And when you do, we hope you're excited to see that Instride is just one of multiple podcast shows on the app, including hack chats, conversations with coaches, and more. And lastly, I wanted to let you know that our friends over at Major League Eventing also have a podcast. And if you enjoyed this show, I think you would also really enjoy their show. Just search for the Major League Eventing podcast in your podcast app and give it a listen. 